our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern out business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. Uh, welcome back to the Mission Zero podcast. Uh, Justin Overstreet here, again, uh, remote up in Fort Worth today. Uh, Jeff, I left him back in the Houston area, but uh, wanted to come up here in the interest of celebrating Women's History Month and talk to uh, someone I consider a historic woman, uh, Tanya Polydoroff. And uh, Tanya's been a, a family friend, and I don't even call her friend, really, probably more family than friend. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and so she's... Uh, She's a very, very interesting person. We're here in her home in the uh, glorious Scrabble room, uh, I guess, or game room. I don't. What do you call this room? Uh, it's called the it's called the board room actually because it's board. all about board games. But Scrabble is is definitely my favorite game because I'm I'm a woman of words. I'm in the PR industry, so um, mm. I love words. I love play on words. I love puns. I love just any sort of word word rhythm. Word rhythm. Yeah, that's a good. So. Uh, Thank you for being on the podcast, first of all, uh, and, and of course, I know your background a bit, but uh, the people that are listening do not, and this podcast is going to be a little bit different. I mean, this is a health and safety podcast, but this one is more about just celebrating you as a, a, a very, just an awesome lady and, and, uh, and, and doing so in, in the spirit of uh, Women's History Month, but tell people who you are, where you come from, uh, just kind of your background and, and how you got to, to this point today. Okay. Um, well, thank you for that introduction, first of all. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, so, first off, talking about myself is not something that I do often because I'm in public relations. My job is to make sure that I propel and push forward whoever it is that my um, my client or my subject is, right? So, my job is to be their cheerleader. So, I'm very rarely talking about myself. Um, so, it's a little awkward for me, but it feels, almost feels like an interview for like a job, but of course it's not. Um, we, we tricked you. Okay, uh, This is actually a job. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm an Air Force brat. Um, so I'm a little bit of a gypsy at heart. We um, moved around a lot because of my dad being stationed at different bases. And I love moving around. Um, I continue to do that throughout my career and have lived now in Texas probably, uh, gosh, it's going to be 12 years in May. And this is the longest I've ever lived anywhere. Um, really? Yeah. And I, I really like Texas a lot. Um, There's a lot to like here. There are it, there is a lot to like here, absolutely. <laughs> um, but my background is mostly in public relations. Um, I started off at Turner Broadcasting, and I spent ten years working there. I was um, at Turner Network Television, working on their original series. Uh, for any of your older listeners, um, I say older um, completely with joy in my heart because I'm of that age, of course. Yeah, we both are, right? <laughs> so. Um, Gettysburg, Andersonville, those kinds of um, original series that were made back then. I was the original publicist on those. 
So that basically meant that I got to go to the set and um, just kind of coordinate interviews on set. I don't know if you remember from back in those days when like Entertainment Tonight would be like, first look on set, and they would be on the set during the making of a film. Yeah, that was back when uh, you had the actual paper TV guide yes. that sat on the, <laughs> yes. the, the side table to your dad's recliner. Exactly. And you'd you know, scramble through there to see when your show was going to come on, and yep. then if you weren't there, you missed it. You didn't get to record it and watch it later. That's exactly true. That's before social media, before new media, before right. digital, before any of that. So, um, And that was when we used to like fax clippings over to our clients and let them know what ran. Um, so those were the days of fax machines. Yeah, and, th- and those publications without social media in play were absolutely critical mm-hmm. to, to getting the word out about your show or, or who you were or any yep. of that stuff. Yeah, I used to stand in line um, at Barnes & Noble and wait for the newest issue of Entertainment Weekly, People Magazine to drop so that we could get our hands on it and see what was actually in print. Um, when an editor would do a story or feature, you know, we would see the draft and a lot of things would happen between then and when it went to print. And so I had to be there in line getting the first copy in order to clip it as what we call it and then break it and send it to the filmmakers, to um, Ted Turner, to everyone, uh, all the advertisers, all the investors, things like that. So yeah, um, it was a long time ago. But mm-hmm. um, So I spent um, several years there. I handled projects like uh, WCW Monday Night Nitro. It was the number one franchise. Uh, in the country and it was also a very interesting project to work on because it was one of those things that no one ever wanted to admit they watched back then (laughs) but it's the same now and and what's interesting is everyone knows that it's staged and and those guys are amazing athletes outside of the fact that it's staged but people still watch it and are like yay you're the champion and it's like of what you didn't win anything you know yeah you're right it is an interesting thing yeah so USA Today came out with a um a feature saying that basically um, anyone that watches WCW, Monday Night Nitro specifically, um, is of a lower class. Um, they were uh, insisting that you know people lived in trailers with like you know dogs chained to the trailer and cars up on blocks, things like that. And it was a very insulting article, as oh, you can imagine. Of course. So of course we had to come up with an idea of like how we're going to prove to them that it's not because it actually is not. It wasn't even a spin. It was um, you know it's the number one rated. Um, uh, franchise on TV. I mean, among yeah. everything. Well, that's like saying the only people that watch NASCAR are those right. people. There are millions and millions of exactly. people watch that. So. Yeah. So we came up with a program really quickly that um, we took to we took WCW Monday Nitro to Ivy League schools and hosted watch parties. Um, and when I tell you that it was standing room only, I'm not kidding. Um, and so we took pictures. We fed those pictures and interviews to USA Today to that same journalist. And it got picked up by Forbes magazine, Wall Street Journal, um, Washington Post, and USA Today, of course, we ran, uh, ran another story, um, just circling back on that, just to kind of clear up any confusion that they had put out there. But it was a really fun campaign to be part of. Um, what an interesting way to dispel that, too. To yeah. go, let, okay, we'll just go to you who you consider yeah. <laughs> the cream of the crop. Yeah, so we went to Brown University, oh, Berkeley. Fantastic. Yeah, it was a really great campaign, so it was a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, on my last two years working at Turner Broadcasting, I was uh, in charge of launching a network called Turner South, and it was Ted Turner's baby network. Um, it was basically so he could beat the contract uh, negotiation where he was not allowed to run MLB games anymore because it was taken over by another network and TBS didn't own the rights anymore. So we could broadcast the games on Turner South because it was a regional network as opposed mm. to a national network. And that was a lot of fun. We did a lot of um, hometown kind of uh, shows, lots of fun did, things there. The, the games that you could broadcast, do they have to be regional games? Yes. Or, okay, so they were specifically regional games, but he could still put the MLB on. Yes. 
So like the Braves and yes, you know, absolutely, yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. And that was of course in the Braves highlight, I right? Mean, of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I left there and uh, went to work um, at a publishing company uh, in Connecticut and drove into the city in New York every day and uh, had a lot of fun there. Learned a lot about what was then called new media. The digital world was just starting to really truly open up. Um, and what did they consider new media? Yeah, so new media. Um, was basically anything online. Um, bloggers were pretty new. This um, is probably still dial-up internet. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you got mail, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Yep. And there was a big, um, big argument between traditional writers, journalists, and bloggers, um, because bloggers were being treated as media and as news reporting in so many different industries, mm -hmm. and they certainly weren't as credible as journalists. They didn't have the tenure and um, the resources, truly, or even the brand name you know, that came with it, um, that bloggers did. However, bloggers could break news much quicker, and that would take some of the ownership away from um, those, traditional, those traditional news outlets. And it was, um, it was a very interesting time. I'm, I was glad that I was at a publishing house then, because it was, it was fun to see kind of behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you, you would think that those, those journalists and stuff, they would embrace the bloggers because it would increase their sphere if they did I, but i can also understand why they didn't yeah because you're like well i went to school for this right and you just got a computer right you know it's uh yeah so yeah. it's interesting and I, I i can understand the response uh honestly yeah so and uh embargoes are something that i work with a lot where you know mm. you tell a journalist like we'll give you an exclusive on something and we'll have an embargo for everybody else who has the information but they can't release it until after your exclusive is done that window is finished so a lot of times we would try to differentiate the two different between like, okay, traditional press gets an embargo on this. They get to release it at noon Eastern time where bloggers get to do it, you know, two hours later. Right. Which would kind of help soften the blow, yeah. if you will. Um, but that did, was, yeah. The bloggers, they pretty much adhere to that? Would they be like, no. okay, I'm going to no, honor that? No, because they had I nothing to lose. They don't care. I wouldn't think they would. <laughs> I just, it, when you said that, I was like, yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah. You know? Um, and so then I went to work at Michelin. I was um, uh, the PR manager of Michelin. I uh, started out there and was there for about four years and did everything from motorsports. Um, so basically going to the um, IMSA races and the ALMS races, American Le Mans, mm -hmm. um, and did a lot of tire safety um, dialogue, just kind of making sure that Michelin still had a voice in that specific um, category because it was very difficult to once they broke away from they're still the safest tires. I still believe that. I don't work there anymore. I love the Michelin. Um, I mean, who doesn't love that big white, you know, Babendum, I mean, right? Yeah. He, he's iconic for sure. He is. I mean, everyone knows the Michelin man. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, so they were known um, for years as having one of the most successful ad campaigns. Um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was like, you know, the, the big chubby babies. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. They're sitting in tires. They're sitting in tires, yep. rolling around, and it would end always. And with those this, babies always look like the incarnation yes. of the Michelin <laughs> they have man. The roles, yeah, all of that. Course. Yeah, yeah. Good that was an accidental, I'm imagining. <laughs> yeah, so um so they had this campaign and and it was basically um because so much is riding on your tires. Mm -hmm. So it was a brilliant way to connect with moms. You know, if you have a newborn baby and you are very concerned about their safety, absolutely don't you want to know that you are riding on the safest tires out there? Like so safe that Michelin is willing to like put their name on the line, put babies in their commercials. And, and their whole campaign was like that for like six years. Mm -hmm. And it was very famous, right? 
Well, then they started to get into the motorsports industry. And there was a very, very strange uh, mix of feelings about that because moms are like, hold on a second, you're going to put these safest tires in a ring on a racetrack. Mm-hmm. Going um, 200 miles an hour. Exactly, yeah. you know, with all these dangers and things. So you, you can't really have, you can't own both spaces. You can't do that. And so they started to pull out of just that core safety messaging and more relegated to like the motorsports industry. They still are the safest, even in motorsports, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then we were coming up, when I was at Michelin, I was coming up on the 20th anniversary of the safety campaign uh, for the babies. And so we were trying to figure out a way to... Um, celebrate it without going back to it mm-hmm. um and so we basically found the babies that were in the tire commercials from 20 years ago and they were all of course um uh in college um still kind of in the area because it was done in greenville south carolina where is the um north american headquarters for michelin and uh, we found them and did a fun campaign with them um and that was uh really successful because people wanted to see like what happened to those babies sure. and you know things like that um and then we gave them michelin tires um for their cars and did a big pr stunt in greenville with that um any of them still look like the michelin man no <laughs> no <laughs> no they're all successful and they're they um don't really remember you know of course oh, being of in course a commercial not. they were under a year old just sure. sitting there with their chubby little bodies um some of them are even embarrassed by it you know but um it was a lot of fun and it was definitely um uh, step one of a three-step program to mm-hmm. reintroduce safety in a different way than motorsports. Uh, the second initiative was, um, I'm going to go back to TV again. So uh, the series, The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the very early years, there was a couple who are still married actually today, Ryan and Trista um, Sutter. Um, Ryan Sutter. I, I don't watch the show. Anyway, so, so back I'll in, trust that you're right. <laughs> back in the early days, um, there was um, a bachelor named Ryan Sutter, and he was a firefighter in Colorado. And um, because I had worked with him in another area of my life, um, I still had his contact, and we reached out to him because we wanted to launch a program that was um, communicating safety in the communities across America. And so what we did um, is we put him on camera with the fire chief. Um, I forget his exact title, forgive me, but um, he was basically the fire chief over the entire North American, all the fire stations, right? His, his title will come to me in a minute, but anyway. Um, so Ryan and him did an interview talking about the safety of tires and how critical they are, especially mm-hmm. in like uh, first responder vehicles, right? Yeah, if you have a failure on in route to an emergency, yeah. you're, you don't get there. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So they're very important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we launched a community campaign where people could write in and nominate their um, first responder in their community to receive free tires for their vehicles. Um, as we all know, you know, uh, police officers, um, fire stations, they're all very stretched um, sure. for their budget. And those kinds of tires, especially the ones mm. for uh, um, fire engines, oh, yeah, incredibly expensive, it, right? You don't go down to discount tire and no. buy that tire. <laughs> no, yeah. you don't, no. Um, so that was a really great program because it got people involved. People felt like they had a voice and they could nominate um, someone in their community um, for whatever reason. And so Ryan read all those letters. We chose more than one winner and gave out tires to first responders all across North America. So that was step two of that safety pillar and doing it in a, in a way that would connect to people, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the third way was um, just, we were coming up on um, uh, NHTSA's um, Tire Safety Week which always happens right before spring break, and then they have a second uh, time that it happens right before Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving is one of the most traveled by car holidays 
of the year in North America. And so we um, set up uh, five-point safety checks at schools in those school lines where all those moms and dads are mm -hmm. waiting for like an hour reading a book or online, whatever, um, waiting to pick up their kids, right? And so we did a five-point safety check where we had um, partnered with people like Discount Tire to send over um, a couple of mechanics and do a five-point safety inspection and then give them a little card from Michelin saying, you know, this was courtesy and we hope you have, you know, a safe trip next week, right? Um, and That's so great. that was really great too. You know, there were a couple people in line that were like, don't touch my car, sure. right? <laughs> Which we could understand. Um, but most everybody was very receptive and, you know, very willing to like, yeah, I'm sitting here anyway, go ahead. Yeah, you why know? not? They probably appreciated it too. Exactly. Yeah. And we did a little bit of education on like, you know, what is tire tread depth and what is, um, what does it mean to have, you know, bare tires and how does that affect you? Um, and I'll never forget the, the way I learned it, um, from a Michelin engineer, I was media training him, and um, if I'm sure you know a lot about engineers, and um, a lot of them, I'll just go ahead and stereotype here, please forgive me. Um, it's very difficult to tell a story by an engineer in three minutes, which is usually about the time that you get on air, right? Sure. For other than a podcast, but for like a TV um, segment or a radio segment. Right. Um, you know, they're all about the PowerPoints and the laser pointers and the, you know, the big diagrams they, and things like that, right? They do explain things in detail yes, to you. Yes, and that's wonderful because that's well, what that's, you need. An that's what I want in an engineer. Right, but for, you know, Good Morning Texas, for like a TV sure. morning show that's a little bit more fluff, you need something that's going to hit someone's emotion in three minutes and like, and, I always say like, on. be brief, be brilliant, be gone, right? Let's get to the point and let's get out of there. So media training engineers to do that in three minutes or less is can be difficult, sure. right? Um, but um, but it's also a, a, a good challenge for me. I love doing that. Um, and so trying to communicate to them, like we need to make sure that people understand um, how important your tires are. Like everything is literally riding on your mm -hmm. tires, right? That's even a slogan too, right? Right. Um, so uh, I was getting to a point now, I can't remember what it was. You were talking about tread depth and- Oh yeah, so um, I got to go to the Michelin um, uh, test track a couple of times. Um, my very first time was with uh, one of the um, America Le Mans drivers, um, and he was spinning me around the track. Of course, I have like three little tiny babies at that time, and I'm like, listen, I have a mom. I really love my kids. Please don't kill me. <laughs> um, that was terrifying, but the most terrifying was the time that we did, um, we were doing a, um, semi-trucks on the track um, in standing water. Oh, nice. Mm-mm. No. So I was terrified. <laughs> it's a blast. No. I was I was literally white knuckling, holding on to everything that I could see or grab, and I was so scared. And it, they weren't even going that fast. But you sure. could feel what we would do is we would put the um, the semi truck on uh, a set of Prellies and a set of um, Michelin and uh, Probably put a, a good year. Right, and put a press person in there and let them see the difference. We wouldn't tell them which ones, and then mm -hmm. they would kind of just like, and these are, of course, like press people from Car and Driver Magazine, sure. Road and Track, things like that. Sure. Um, no home and garden people. No home and garden, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so safety was always um, a core message during my time at tenure, um, and I had a lot of fun there. I went into that job kicking and screaming. I will not lie. Like, my whole um, background had been in entertainment, and um, because we moved to Greenville, South Carolina, there wasn't 
uh, that industry wasn't very prominent right. there. So I was kind of trying to figure out like, what am I going to do here? And um, Michelin North America has a beautiful glass building um, right there on the side of the interstate. And I kept on looking at it. And the minute I walked in there one day, I was just like, okay, I could do this. I could, I can make something out of this. It'd be a lot of fun. And so I took that job and just turned it into something that kind of spoke to what I used to do in entertainment and brought in the connection with Ryan Sutter. And I, I think it was good because I looked at it from not an engineer's perspective. I didn't grow up in the world of Michelin and it, tires weren't a natural thing for me. You know, like I, sure I drive a car, I know how important tires are, but not truly in a way that I could sell them or speak the language, right? But it was still, it was still in your wheelhouse because you, you talk about it wasn't entertainment, but it kind of was. I mean, yeah. making commercials, even if you're trying to communicate a serious message, uh, if it's not an at least somewhat appealing to look at, people just kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so it's still within that entertainment sphere. So it, it's definitely something that uh, still aligned well with what you wanted to do. Yeah, definitely. And then they also let me um, be the voice of the Michelin Man on Twitter. We launched our first social media um, uh, channel mm-hmm. while I was there. Uh, me and another gentleman um, were very big on social media at that time and, and kept on saying, you know, if you don't give the Michelin man a voice on social media, you're allowing everybody else to be that voice. Oh yeah, someone's gonna talk for him. Absolutely, and that's what was happening. And um, you know, the Michelin man, the, the, um, the actual mascot or legend, if you would say, um, is a very protected um, icon. Oh yeah. And um, you know, the company, which is originally you know, a, a French company, right? Um, they're very strict and very standard on like what can be used and what, what he can be doing. He doesn't even really truly have it. He doesn't speak, right? Um, so it, it took a lot to kind of figure out like, you know, what will his personality be on Twitter if we're, gonna, if we're gonna allow this? Like, will he be funny? Will he be charming? Will he just be all about, you know, core messaging and safety? Mm-hmm. Will he, um, who will have to approve his comments? Will he reply back to people? You know what I mean? Like, what will it be? Will it be like a Wendy's kind of snarky situation? Or will which it is be, fantastic. Which is fun. <laughs> It is outstanding. Um, or will it be very corporate? And who wants it to be corporate? You know, like, who's the audience going to be? Sure. Um, so so that was a lot of fun. Um, and that's definitely something that I put in my back pocket as a success there at Michelin. That was a lot of fun. You know, what's interesting is, is you talk about all of the consideration that goes into how he, he right, is going to speak. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you just think about you, the same consideration isn't given a lot of times on in social media in in corporate America or in your personal life, you know, what you're saying. And, right. and I, it's just interesting that so much goes into that, uh, especially on a corporate side and especially with something as recognizable as the Michelin man, right? Does he have a name or is he just the Michelin man? No, his name is Babendum. Sorry. Uh, B I B E N D U M. Babendum. Babendum. Yeah. I used to know what it meant and I don't remember anymore. 100% we can look that up after. Yeah. It's worth a Google. <laughs> Um, but it's just interesting to listen to all of the things that go into uh, to that kind of messaging and, and thinking through, you know, it, of course, you have to understand it doesn't matter what you say. Someone is going to shred it sure. when it's on the Internet. So but just but even what you said, is he going to respond? Yeah. And, and did he did he respond to things? He is now. He wasn't okay. originally. Um, Probably was, better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'll end my Michelin story by telling one other story that I, um, that I love to talk about. I don't know if you're familiar with the Michelin Guides. Um, mm-hmm. But the Michelin Guides are, um, it's basically, um, oh, it's not Yelp, what I'm trying to think of, um, Zagat. Oh, the uh, Michelin rated, Michelin yes. ratings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have the Michelin Guides, and they were only um, European when I first started working at the company. And they had just launched uh, the New York Guide. 
Um, and so they had brought it over to North America and there was a big stigma around this whole secrecy because nobody knows who the Michelin um, judges are and mm. how you earn those specific stars. Um, so if you're a three-star chef in Michelin, that is the highest um, like attribute you can ever receive, right? Um, there was even a negative story that had come out um, right after the, the New York Michelin Guide was launched. Um, uh, one of the chefs had um, committed suicide. Um, based on his rating? Mm-hmm, based on his rating. And so there was a lot wow. of negative PR that came out about that. Um, now, there probably were other things going on in his life, right? Uh, you, well, yeah. you would hope that, right. I mean, it's a horrible story, but yeah. you would hope that he didn't read it and go, one star, that's it, it's over. Exactly. So we launched a we launched a campaign talking about the Michelin Guide and where it came from. So funny thing is, um, this you know highly regarded guide that people were just um, really wanting to get into. I almost said dying to get into. That was a very bad joke. I'm very sorry. Please edit that out. <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't say that and then you said that. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, way, way to say it. I know. And saying you didn't. Anyway, I'm not going to say this, but I said it. <laughs> um, so the Michelin Guide started because um, once uh, the two brothers, um, uh, the two Michelin brothers launched tires, right? People weren't driving as much. And so they were trying to come up with a way to get people to use their tires. Mm. So let's come up with a fun guide, a directory of places to go, like a journey, a day trip. That's brilliant. Yep. And so they gave them away at filling stations, gas stations, right? Um, to people who would come by and say like, oh, you should really try this restaurant. It's, you know... 30 miles up the road, exactly. Um, And so it was truly a marketing um, brochure that turned into something that we know now as the Michelin Guide. So I'd always wondered if you you hear like a Michelin-rated restaurant or Michelin-rated chef or whatever, I always wondered if it was associated with the tires, and now I know. Yeah, it is. (laughs) And and, uh, and that's the rest of the story, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so now I'm currently um, working at a company called Ally Global Marketing, and we're an agency. We're the number one entertainment agency in the business. And what we do is we promote um, primarily films, uh, but we do work on TV, of course, a lot now, and especially streaming, mm-hmm. um, because that has just really grown so much. But uh, I'm, I lead the office for Texas. Um, so our offices um, are 22 across the country, and we are basically in the primary markets, um, you know, New York, LA, Denver, Chicago, Atlanta, DC, right? Mm-hmm. Texas. Texas. Um, and um, whenever a film is coming out at the box office, um, we promote it about a month, um, generally, before it comes out. We make sure that um, people know about it. Uh, we book those interviews on your local morning shows um, or your radio shows. We get those uh, print features done. Um, sometimes we do red carpet premieres and the stars will come to town and do all that sort of press. Um, we do a lot of stunted things um, where we'll plant something in a market and we'll do fun things to drive social media attention and, and dialogue. Um, I really love this job a mm-hmm. lot. It's a lot of fun. I love movies anyway. Um, it's been really interesting for the past two years to see how much this um, landscape has really changed. Um, you know, there were a lot of people who didn't really love the experience of going to the, going to the movies before so, the pandemic. So you're saying you've been with Allied how long now? Uh, it's been 11 years. 11. So when when I met you, you were with Allied. So mm-hmm. when you say the last two years, you mean specifically with dealing with COVID and yes. the pandemic and movie theaters not being available Absolutely. Uh, and, and all of that. So, yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure. I, when you said two years, I was like, now you've been with uh, you've been with Allied longer than two years. Yeah, so the past two years has been definitely a challenge, but I, it was a it was a welcome challenge because um, 
you know, during so many, um, I mean, every industry was affected, right? I mean, everyone that we can think of. Um, ours was uh, affected in many different ways. Um, number one, of course, movie theaters were closed, sure. right? Um, so that just gave, you know, Hollywood, for for lack of a better term, um, a chance to kind of look at this product that they had just, they were shelving. So what do we do? Well, streaming, of, of course, is a thing, right? So let's just, let's figure out which ones we want to stream. Um, we had a constant client in Food Network. That's one of our clients. Food Network was just going through the roof with their ratings. It, it probably blew up because no everybody one could, was at home yeah. cooking. So yeah, <laughs> everybody was um, trying to figure out what are new recipes. What what can we do? So a lot of people were watching Food Network, watching a lot of like hobbyist TV, some of the DIY channels, things like that. HGTV, um, Home Depot, and Lowe's were both oh. through the roof with selling materials because people were looking at this time to. Um, you know, redo that bathroom you've been trying to get to or whatever it was. So there was a lot of that content that was being pushed and um, we were able to kind of ride that wave, right? And um, get out to those people, those DIYers and those people who were looking for something to do while they were um, quarantined, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, as we kind of come out of quarantine, if you can say that yet, I think, um, it's In still, Texas you can. In Texas you absolutely sure. can. <laughs> um it's been all about um, still doing events and still doing screenings at the theater, but making sure that safety, once again, is a pillar. Um, we want to make sure that, you know, um, no matter what client is, if it's Disney, if it's Paramount, um, whoever it is, that if we're going to hold a screening where in previous days before COVID, um, standing room only was sure. the objective. Let's get, quote unquote, butts in seats. Let's mm-hmm. let everybody see this film. Um, before it comes out so they can start talking about it. Word of mouth is one big thing that we rely on, right? Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts about your job is all of the things I get to see before yeah. <laughs> uh, before it's available to most people. Uh, and so that's been... But you're right, that, that had to have changed. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, what we are, are... In our DNA is like a full house means sure. it's a success. And now it's, you know, well, let's only fill it to like 50% full. Let's only fill it to, you know, 60, 80% full. Um and the majority of the times that we fill something, it will be because we're holding a screening for press because they need to see it for business purposes, right? To write their reviews or to right. prepare for a feature if they're going to interview somebody from the film. Um, and we have found that the screening will do, it'll be more well-received if they're, if we fill it with other people, like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, let's say it's Kung Fu Panda. Um, there's been several versions of that, right? Yeah. Um, My wife dressed up as the Kung Fu yes, Panda, if you'll remember. <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> Um, yeah, because we get costume characters That's a lot right. of times, right? Um, so for that one, we, we reached out to a bunch of um, uh, dojos and um, uh, kung fu and you know taekwondo and things like that, um, instructors in different little pop-up places. Jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu, absolutely. Um, and we invited the owners or the managers to um, extend the invitation to their family, right? To their clients, to their membership and um, filled those screenings across North America with people who were going to be very specifically interested in the film, mm-hmm. right? They showed up in their... Geese. Thank you. And their geese. And that, of course, was an, an amazing photo opportunity. Of course, you yeah. Know? Um, and yes, uh, we had to um, find places to take uh, Poe, I think his name was, the Kung Fu Panda, mm-hmm. the guy. Um, and your wife, who is the most petite little five foot two, three, I don't know. Sorry, five foot three. And you put me on the spot like that in the show and I don't appreciate that. And, um, but she fit perfectly inside of Poe and she in was po, great. And she fit perfectly in, inside of Belt before she tripped and fell in the street in Dallas, which was awesome. Right. Yeah. Uh, but again, uh, 
in and part of it is to celebrate you and that is definitely something i celebrate it's just the off the wall stuff that that you bring into our lives and that's that's one of them and and it's just amazing uh but anyway go ahead and continue so you guys allied it, it shifted from let's get a standing room uh and then the pandemic happens and yeah. it's like we can't do any of our screenings right and then as that slowly starts coming back you're like okay let's go to 50 percent. let's go to and uh and so are you seeing it now where it's back to okay let's let's get it as full as we can get it yeah i mean i think people are ready for it i mean and the people who aren't they're going to choose not to right so we're right. not making anyone come see a movie for free right and that's you know i think that's an important message in all of this is that uh you know when, when you hear about these you know requirements that are are going away let's just say it's masking if if the the governor says okay you no longer have to wear masks uh, and then the backlash from that is, is I don't understand that because it's not telling you you can't ever wear them. Right. If you want to wear one, wear one. Right. And, uh, and so I think your point is, is right. I think the people that inherently wanted to go to movies anyway, they're going to show up. Yep. And the ones that are, are still a bit you know timid about it, they're not going to. Exactly. And, and that's just fine. Yep. Either way. You can see it when it – I mean, uh, in one way I liked what HBO Max did where they were like anything that gets released uh, – I think who was who's HBO Max was it? Uh, well, Wonder Woman they did. There was a small window. Yeah, but uh, everything during the pandemic, in the, right in the middle of it, uh, everything that was released. Uh, who's the uh, movie movie house with with? Is it MGM or is it who, whoever a movie like Paramount or whatever? Whoever's associated oh, with Warner HBO. Brothers. Warner Brothers. Right. Yeah. Anything they released to a theater, they released on HBO Max. Right. And uh, and I know there was some controversy around some of that stuff. Uh, that the actors feeling like you know, hey man. You're, you're, uh, you know, Scarlett Johansson was one of the most famous cases of that where she was angry because yeah. it, she felt like the streaming cut into the box office and sure right. it did. Yeah. Um, but as a consumer, uh, and especially if you're one of those people who is timid about being out in public, I think that was fantastic, especially to continue to get new content out and, and keep that stuff going because I do believe that if movies just, if you shelved movies for a year completely, people wouldn't care anything about movies ever again. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's also some part of the filmmaker's ego sometimes, you know, it's <laughs> sure. it's if you're like an artist and you, you know, are asked to paint some masterpiece and they give you a, you know, a tiny little like 3 by 5 canvas. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you know, that's really frustrating. If they give you this like giant canvas and you can just, you know, paint your heart's desire. Yep. Like or, filmmakers feel the same way where it's like Yeah, or you paint that giant canvas and then they just turn it into mouse pads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. not what I so, wanted that to be. So filmmakers took it very um, personally mm. when when you're giving someone your baby. You know, it's a you very created, personal thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you're letting them watch it in the comfort of their own home, which sounds wonderful. But then you're also like, okay, well, the phone's going to ring. The dog's going to jump in front of you. The, you don't know what they're, what they're watching on an iPad in the bed, falling asleep. And then they're going to maybe watch it tomorrow morning, like whatever. You, you kind of lose, you're letting go of control. Well, and I can tell you too, n- knowing, you know, like, I like big movies. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, we just went and saw the Batman right. last time we were in town. That's a big movie, yeah. you know, and I like those types of movies and you can watch them on your TV at home and you can have a nice entertainment center and everything. It loses something. Yeah, I mean, sure. you go to the theater and you see it on a huge screen or in some cases an IMAX or whatever. It's that's the way that should be seen. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's also infectious. Emotions are contagious as we know. Yeah. And if you're in a theater full of people, right. And, laughter happens it, it's more robust it's more fun to experience like something funny with a lot of people and same thing with scary movies you know oh, like yeah. <gasps> the you know the jump scares and things people react 
Are you uh, are you one of those people that claps at the end of a movie in I a am. theater? Yes. Come on, Tony. They can't hear you. Why do you do that? No one's there anyway because I wait till the end of the credits because I stay for the credits. I wait for the stinger because sometimes there's a stinger and I'm literally watching the people walk out like you're gonna miss the stinger. You I wait. Uh, I, I watch the house lights. If the house lights come oh, yeah. up, it usually means there's nothing. Yeah. So that's true. That, that's what I kind of watch. It's but like the house I, lights coming up are dependent on a 16 year old who just got that job last week. So be careful. I'm a little more jaded now after knowing that. I thought it was some special uh, nope, assignment, nope. some some special operative that worked there. Yeah, who's in charge of that? So, uh, so with with Allied, uh, you, and you just came back from South by Southwest. Yeah. So how was South by Southwest different during pandemic, and then how was it different this year? Yeah. So um, the first year, 2020, they canceled mm-hmm. South by Southwest about right. a week before the pandemic. Um, kind of really started to resonate with everyone that like, wow, we need to we really start paying attention. Yeah. yeah. Let's start paying attention. And, um, so they canceled the festival altogether and that's a big deal in this industry. Cause it's, um, there's a lot of money, a lot of things that had, you know, it's like canceling a wedding as you're walking down the aisle. Right. Sure. And same thing with the Houston rodeo. Sure, they canceled absolutely. that yep. and, and people were like, what? Yeah. And it was unheard of. Yeah. So then last year in 2021, they did, um, virtual only. Um, and it was very limited. You know, it's all about the community. It's about the experience, right? Um, but yeah, this year... Oh, I can't imagine. I mean, yeah. it, first of all, it's in Austin, which is an amazing, mm-hmm. you know, cultural place and right. very people-centric. To turn that into virtual, it meant it had to lose everything. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine it. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, a lot of press that, of course, attend because it's part of their job to cover these, you know, indie and then big, com- mm-hmm. you know, commercial films. Um, but this year was hybrid. Um, there was a mix of virtual as well as in-person um, from the days that I was there, um, I would say, don't quote me on this, but the attendance was probably a fourth of what I've usually seen in the past. Mm. I mean, it's usually shoulder to shoulder, um, and all demos, all ages, all genre, you know, you have, you know, the technology crowd that comes in for that experience and all the speakers panels and things like that, which are always very entertaining and mm. great. And then you have the music part of it, you know, um, and everybody, you know, you have A-list groups and bands and solo artists and then up-and-comers that, you know, may have a very small underground following, but they show up for South by Southwest, right? Sure. And then same way with the films. Um, you have your indie films that um, may get discovered at South by. That's what film festivals are, are all about, right? And maybe they come in even without a, um, a production company behind them and someone sees They're it there. They're hoping get picked up. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, Quiet Place premiered there first, mm-hmm. right? And um, Bridesmaids did. Um, so a lot of big films have come out of that that may not have gotten the attention that they would have deserved if they hadn't premiered there. Two fantastic movies. Yeah. Bridesmaids is so funny. So funny. It's ridiculous. Although I didn't like it the first time I saw it. I was really upset at how sad and desperate Kristen Wiig's character is. And I am a Kristen Wiig fan. I love her. Um, and I was too hyper-focused, I think, on her character being so needy and so pathetic. She she is. Uh, and then she when you realize that she figures that out about herself yeah. in the show, yeah, it's it, it, the, but I don't watch it for that kind of stuff. I watch it for like the crude oh, toilet yeah. humor and yeah. that movie has it in space. Man, it's awesome. Somehow that flew by me the first time. And then the second time I watched it, I couldn't stop laughing. I, I was like, okay, this movie is it's the bomb. So it's, it's so good. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, was, so you say there's a quarter of the attendance. Was that because the attendance was limited or that you think that's just how people responded to it being I think available? people are still hesitant yeah. in the industry to, um, to put forth all the energy and the money to have something in a festival mm-hmm. and they're still a little bit like trepidatious. It might get pulled. It might not work. Something might happen. The CDC might announce something. So 
people were a little bit um, reluctant to commit to having something big in the festival, you know? So mm-hmm. um, there was still content, but it was um, it was not as much as it usually is. And there weren't as many celebrities down there this year. Um, and that affected the volunteers. They get most of their volunteers for South by Southwest from UT Austin, the students. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, one of the reasons why they schedule it the same week as spring break. Um, because a lot oh. of the students want to volunteer. Like, Makes why would sense. you? Yeah. They don't have to pay them. They can just volunteer and like get great experience. And they're going to volunteer because they want to hang out with celebrities. Exactly. Exactly. It's easy. This year, when they saw the schedule, a lot of the volunteers were like, "We're good. We're going to go to Florida." <laughs> so, <laughs> so they were struggling for volunteers. They were, you know, struggling so much for content. But um, you know, kudos to them for putting it on though, and for going forth with it and. I think you're going events. Yeah, I think you're going to have to have that. Like yep. en- entities like that are going to have to go. You know, we have to restart and yep. uh, and those things. I mean, South by Southwest is an established thing, sure. and it's not it's not like it's new and has to completely restart. But they are just going to have to go mm-hmm. and and see what happens. And I think that you know, I, I think I think the response is just going to get better and better as as people get more comfortable with the fact that we're coming out of this thing and, and hopefully right. you know nothing like you said there's no no surprise announcement that comes out and kind of curbs that but uh, it's interesting too you know you and I talked about a little bit you know, this is a health and safety podcast and I ask you uh, what safety considerations for the celebrities that you guys interact with uh, do you guys take do you guys are is allied responsible for that or are the celebrities responsible for providing their own security or is it a mix I mean how does that work uh, it's truly a mix. It depends on the celebrity. Um, for instance, we had John Travolta in town, um, uh, gosh, twice over the past five years, and he has his own security that he travels with. Um, but then when they get to a city, like for instance, Dallas, um, we have people that are receiving them once they get off the plane. Like he's his own pilot, so mm-hmm. he flew in in his own plane, right? Um, so we hire um, what we call bodyguards, um, and they're usually off-duty police officers, right? Um, and we hire them a couple of days before the actual event because we want to do a walkthrough and we want to make sure that we know all of the exits. Um, is there anybody who else who, at, who uses this service elevator? Um, does it go out by the trash cans? Is it going to be smelly? That's mm-hmm. fine. Um, you know, who are the people in the hotel um, that are going to be confidential or not going to tweet this out that he's going out this way? I and mean, then you have a line of people, right? Um, so all that's, of course, taken into consider- consideration. Um, you know, paparazzi and all those fan. Um, I do know they follow boys. me everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it is frustrating. You need your own bodyguard then. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, yeah, but security, of course, is a big thing. Um, we're always working um, with the different, I mean, like, we work with all the venues um, in different cities and different states. But, um, and they have sometimes their own, like, union um, uh, staff that we have to use, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then we have to bring in our own personnel sometimes that knows the ins and outs of, um, of some of the celebrities. And then sometimes the celebrities um, will have like a bad cop, good cop kind of situation going on. Like for instance, some of them don't like to sign autographs, but they want to give the perception that they do. And oh, so they, they like want a, their security to shut it down so they don't look so like... they don't have to be the bad person. Yep, so that happens a lot. I, I would probably be that way. <laughs> There's a couple of times when <laughs> we've had to stage a crowd um, like oh, if a no. celebrity showing up and there's not people waiting for them, that doesn't look good. And so maybe we'll circle the block a couple of times and I'll call some word of mouth groups or some different people to show up and just kind of like be fans. Um, so we've done that. Sometimes we'll work with radio. We try to prevent that from happening. We'll work with radio stations and we'll give away um, what we call um, uh, the pit. Mm-hmm. So like a fan, you know, a fan pit where mm-hmm. they get like first access or whatever and we'll fill that so that there is guaranteed, you know, 
um, a receiving crowd, if you will. I so. remember a few years back you did a, a screening, and I can't remember the movie's name now. I don't think it did well, but it was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and oh, Johnny yeah. Knoxville yeah. over in Dallas. The Last Stand. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and and you were like, uh, I, th- this is another part that is just a, so much fun uh, being your your friend, uh, is you get a phone call at like four in the afternoon. And it's like, <laughs> hey, you guys want to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger? Right. Uh, be at this theater at seven o'clock tonight. Yeah. And you just show up. And uh, But I was amazed when we got there. In, your, in my mind, seeing red carpet events on TV, it just looks like they're packed out and there's cameras and stuff. We get there and it's, just a handful of people. I mean, there was a lot of people, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like what I imagined. Right. And you know, there's not a ton of snapping cameras and stuff, and they're just they're just right there. Right. Like you, they're friendly and engaging, and and all of that. It was it was pretty interesting uh, to see that side of it. But I would imagine even with those small venues like that, and and you know, there's still. I mean, there are people that want to do bad things all the time to people for whatever reason. Absolutely. Those, well, he has the political side too. So there was you that's know, right that. Oh, that's right. I yeah, forgot that he, he was, was uh, the governor of California. Governator, yeah, <laughs> or whatever he was. Yeah, but yeah, that then and and I remember seeing that and thinking, first of all, well, this is not what I thought it would be in terms of size or scope, but second, like being in in safety, going, man, it'd be real easy to touch him right now. Yeah, and uh, and I wonder what response would be if I reached out and just grabbed his collar. Right. And, uh, and I don't think it would be great. But Yeah, so sometimes there's um, hidden security in between the paparazzi oh, and the press, right? I lived my life thinking hidden security was there. Yeah. Like, I was like, they're, <laughs> they're in here somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like I said, they've already, you know, done the route, and so they know exactly, you know, where to go if something were to happen at point A, point B, or point C, mm-hmm. right? Um, and um, the, the press corps that's there is by invitation only. So we may send out, um, you know, the press release or the media alert saying like he's going to be in town. If you'd like a one-on-one interview, or if you'd like to be on the on the red carpet as press, interviewing, there are several steps you have to take in order to do that. Number one, you have to watch the movie. Number two, you have to sometimes present us with the questions that you're going to ask, um, and we give them, you know, a quick little soundbite. Then we have to turn that press list uh, into his personal publicist to make sure there aren't any like um, reasons why he shouldn't speak with them. Um, maybe their tone is just really, really off and they don't review anything positively. Um, maybe there is a connection, you know, from the past where they've spoken about something that he, he's done personally. Um, you know, he's got a, pers- a lot of personal right. stuff in his own life, you know. Yeah. Um, but they basically get to pick and choose. So, um, and that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they, they want to sit down with as friendly a, an yeah. audience as it's they can. It's supposed to be a pleasant experience. Sure. You know, we're not, we're not here to like, you know, do shock jock radio or whatever. Um, you know, like Kid Craddock in the Morning was one of the things that we used to have to worry about quite often. It's not as shock jock anymore as it mm-hmm. used to be. Um, but there was a time when a lot of those stations would say things just to get the ratings, right? And they oh, sure. still do, of course. Um, but, um, you know, just kind of, it's on us. If something goes wrong, we were supposed to have vetted them and to prepare them with, you know, um, what we're looking for as far as the tone goes and as far as the experiences. And, you know. So, so when the celebrity hits the ground, and you've a couple of days run through with the security, whether mm-hmm. they're, you know, off-duty police officers or, you know, whatever. And they've mapped out, you know, if, if this happens, we're going to go to A. If A's blocked, we're going to go to B. You know, right. those kinds of things. Uh, is there a briefing held with the celebrity to say, hey, if things go awry, this is the response that you can expect and, and just go with it? Or is the celebrity just kind of like, a hapless passenger in the No, tank. they're usually included in the conversation. Not with me. Um, 
I'll have the conversation with our um, on the ground security people, and then I'll connect them with the celebrity's personal security person. They have that conversation, and we assume that the conversation is then between their personal uh, security and that celebrity. Gotcha. And then there's other things that we have to worry about. You know, like if the I remember the film um, We Bought a Zoo um, with Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, PETA is a big organization. Oh, yeah. If there are animals in a film, there's gonna be protests. There's gonna be protests. Um, if it's a controversial film, protests. Um, if it's based on a true story, sometimes there are protests about why well, that didn't really happen or things like that. So there's, um, you know, there's always people that are going to be um, against something, no matter how sweet or family friendly or whatever the movie is. And that's another thing about my job. It's so fun. I can be working on a Disney rated G film and then a hard R film. Right. Um, in the same day and never the two shall meet, right? So, <laughs> right. yeah. But, you know, you say that there are people that, that are going to hate everything, right? We call those people cavemen. Yeah. You know, citizens <laughs> against virtually everything. Everything, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but you're right. You, there's no shortage of people that uh, just want to be mad just to be mad. Yep, they just live to stir the pot. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, one of the things that, again, getting back kind of the celebration of, uh, of Women's History Month is, you know, being a dad of girls, and I've told you this before, uh, I love having you in our lives because it gives my my girls someone to look to, to say, man, I could, that's that's who I can model my life after. If you could give any advice uh, to to girls out there, to women out there, uh, on you know what to do in in your own life to to just be happy or content or satisfied. Uh, and, and you might not be either of the, any of those things, but I, I believe you are. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give? Oh gosh, that's a, that's a hard question. Yeah. Especially because I love your girls so much. Like giving them advice would be like very weighted for me. No, well, they wouldn't listen to it, but that's okay. <laughs> from know, you, they probably, they probably would, actually. would more than they would you. Yeah. They would, <laughs> Same thing with my three boys. They would no. listen to you more than they would me. Yeah, well. um, I gosh, I guess more than anything, I I would say like, don't be in a rush to figure it as figure out what it is that you want to do for the rest of your life. It, it will come to you, especially if you keep your eyes and ears open. Um, try to focus on like, you know, work. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big worker. I've always worked. Right. Um, but in the meantime, like pay attention to your passion. Like what is, what are you passionate about? Cause I guarantee you there is a job that will pay you in some shape or form to, to do that. Right. Because without passion in your job, it just it's like a it's that clocking in and clocking out thing where you're not gonna fully contribute, you're not gonna really love your job, but you're not going to be fully invested. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in my role as PR, I have to sell a story or sell a product all the time. So I don't care if it's toilet paper. I mean, that's a random thing to bring up just because of the past two years when toilet paper was like you know the we, biggest we, commodity that you could have. But yeah. <laughs> It was definitely a, it was definitely hard to find sometimes. Yeah, my dad is famous for saying when I told him I was going to be in PR, he was famous for saying, uh, you know, leave it to Tanya to get pay, get someone to pay her to talk on the phone all day and lie a lot. Now, my dad, I don't lie a lot. It's I need to meet you. Spin you, on things. You, I don't know that I've ever met your dad, and, and <laughs> the the few times that we've talked about him, I'm like, oh, he's a kindred spirit. Yeah, I feel like I'm, he's got I like that Air Force humor, that Air Force yeah. humor, and yeah. he's one of those that if you if he's not poking fun at you, you know that something's wrong. Yeah, there's like, a problem there. Yeah, there's a yeah. problem. I must have really made it mad, right. you know. Um, but I would say fa- find your passion. Um, you know, like I love PR and I love, uh, I'm a storyteller. So mm-hmm. I, I love telling stories and watching other people tell stories and celebrating a product. So um, 
that's a great way to you know parlay into public relations and you could do public public relations in any industry if you're passionate about motorsports you know go do it for the tire manufacturer or for one of the sponsors or for the actual track or for be a personal publicist for the one of the drivers um be for the national tire and safety board be for the you know anything you could be in pharmaceuticals you could be in politics you could be in retail sales whatever and with social media now sometimes you can just you can do if you build an audience somehow you can end up by default being in public relations Absolutely. and those companies will find you. Yep. Uh, and so I was going to say, when you, you said be passionate about what you do, I was going to say, well, you found something you're passionate about and, and turned that into a career. And, and then, but you already said all of that. So you beat me to it. Um, however, I'll tell you that I went to school for nursing. Um, oh, I, I didn't know that. Yep. I did. I went, to, I didn't ever finish. I've never finished college. Um, I went to school for a year and a half uh, to get my nursing degree because my mom, um, is retired now, but she was a funeral director and she had been a nurse all of her life um, because it was the best. Um, so your mom was a funeral director? Mm-hmm, she was, So that's yes. why you're a Halloween <laughs> yeah, person? that's part like, of it, yeah. I've uh, always been a big, a big fan of Halloween. Halloween person, <laughs> other than my wife, maybe. But my parents both, and my dad in the Air Force, both wanted me to do something that was um, just a staple mm-hmm. in, you know, in the world. A nurse, be a nurse. We'll always need nurses, you know. Um, and I could have been a nurse. I, I definitely have that... Um, that nurturing, compassionate side mm-hmm. to me, you know, but it wasn't something that like I was really passionate about. It just didn't light a fire. Didn't it? Didn't light a fire for me. Um, and um, so I, I kind of ventured over into pharmaceuticals, and um, from there, sort of working in sales of pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Didn't like that kind of seedy industry. wasn't good for me. Um, and then fell into, like I said at the very beginning of this, um, the sales from the sort of publishing, and then went into PR. So yeah, I didn't really even know what PR was in um, in school. Like if you had told me that someone got paid to like watch movies and promote movies before they come out I would have I'll been be like honest, what I'm, I'm a little jealous of, of your career path and then also your uh, massage therapist oh yeah yeah I so remember the, when you got that yep and I was like well wait a minute yeah I love doing that um, it's just something that feeds my soul I just I'm a big believer in the power of like a hug mm-hmm. um, you know all the dopamine and all the um, internal things that just release and how good it makes your whole body feel so the power of touch is just something that I truly believe in. It's very um, it's healing. healing. It's very healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that it, it helps me um, in like stretching and just kind of the movement or whatever and giving a massage also. Like I just, I love doing it. So yeah. That's great. Yeah. I wanted to be a midwife at one point because um, I just, I love the whole process of, you talk about celebrating women, of yeah. the whole birthing process. I think it's incredible. It's on. It's there's no other way to describe it than just miraculous. Yeah, like it, it is that. Yeah, for so sure. I think we all have like different things that we could have been, or maybe you know entertain the idea of doing. But I think once you find, and also my my mom wasn't a funeral director until she went to the School of Mortuary Science at Gupton Jones University in Atlanta when she was right before she turned forty. So she was a nurse her whole life, and then she was the first female funeral director in the state of Georgia, um, and um, she. Um, it's a very spiritual religious woman. She mm-hmm. felt like it was her way to kind of um, witness to those people who were hurting at their biggest time of need, right? So while she's preparing the body and doing all of the things that you have to do in your job, she looked at it as a way to really um, connect with people who were very lost in a moment of grieving. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the, and the funeral industry, as you probably know, is um, it's, a, it's a weird industry where there's a lot of money that exchanges hands at a very... Um, uh, it is, yeah. So it, it's... I've, it's uh, at a time when everybody's very vulnerable, you know, like oh, right. wouldn't Aunt 
Sue look really great in this pink satin lined coffin right. that's and, top of the line. If, you know? if, you, if you're like me, my response in that moment would be like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Just whatever it is, go. Yep. So, yeah, it is. A, it's an interesting business. and, and uh, but, it, but describing how, you know, her heart behind yeah. getting in that is, is um, important. I think yeah. that's really, uh, really interesting. And it gives me some insight as to, you know, where you get your heart. And then um, hearing stories about your father is, Oh, now I see where you're a little bit, you know, coarse, yeah. where that comes from. My so quirky sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's awesome though. <laughs> uh, My but, dad was famous for it. So he was a, um, a boom operator, which is the people who, um, the refuel the planes in the mm-hmm. air. Yeah. So he would be in the, um, KC-135 operating the boom, which was, you know, you lay on your belly, um, mm-hmm. in this like glass egg, if you will, and work all the controls. Well, we didn't really understand like what he did necessarily. And then one year we got the Atari for Christmas mm-hmm. and um, we could not figure out why in the world he was so good with the joystick. <laughs> like he would just kill us at Centipede, at Donkey Kong, at Pac-Man. Like, I mean, he just was like high score, high score all the time. We were convinced, me and my sister, that he was like doing this in his sleep. Like he right. was sneaking downstairs and clearly playing with the Atari. And then we got to go see an actual KC-135 and like and got, got to go up into the plane and see oh. it. And I literally was like... The connection just hit me like yeah. this is why you're so good like the, the controller that he was using looked just like a joystick of so, course yeah of course yeah so well thank you so much <laughs> and before we finish since it is uh women's history month edition what uh what one woman do you look to as a as a mentor someone that you personally know oh my goodness one woman that i look to as a mentor um um it would have to be my first true boss in PR. Her name is Karen um, Castle, um, and she was the senior vice president of Turner Network Television and then all the entertainment properties at Turner. Um, She was my first hard manager. Mm -hmm. Like, have you seen The Devil Wears Prada? Yeah, I've not seen it, but I know what it's about. And I'm confident enough to say this about her and to her if she happens to listen to this that I won't be like hiding from her if she hears it. She knows this about herself. She um, also did not have a college degree and was um, somewhat insecure about it because she was on an executive level, Mm -hmm. right? But then if you think about it, Ted Turner didn't have a college degree. He um, quit school, I think he was going to Brown and got kicked out if I'm not mistaken. Um, So he was very much a man that was like, if you have an idea, bring it to me, let's run with it. Mm -hmm. Number one, he was filthy rich. Um, yeah, it, and it's always a it, you can. Yeah. It's a more comfortable space to be in to, to take risks. Yeah, it was money. all about the passion too. He could see the passion in people's eyes. Yeah. So long story short, she was um, she used to kind of operate with like an iron fist. You know, there was like very specific standards and ways you had to hold yourself. You know, in front of executives, in front of Ted Turner, in front of anyone. And um, she was she was hard. Um, and I learned a lot of things from her as far as like how I wanted, how I wanted to be a manager. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and also how to stand up for myself. Um, she and I have remained good friends for gosh, it's been 30 years, 30 years now. Um, she's definitely softened. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but you can say her name in the industry for people, you know, 10 years ago and people will kind of like, Oh God, you worked for her. Oh my gosh. You know? (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, we used to have the, the team used to have literally a weather forecast, like, I'd walk in and I'd be like, how's the weather today? And they'd be like, well, it's a little cloudy. Yeah. And you knew we were talking about her. And code. You, yes, <laughs> there was a code. <laughs> and because she's standing there going, what? the sun's out. What yeah. Y'all, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> exactly. So um, probably her, but I have a lot of mentors. I, I, I don't believe um, for a minute that there's, I believe for everything in my body that there's something you can learn from some, from anyone every single day. Like, I think we're all on this earth to teach each other, teach, 
teach each other things, um, women, men, whoever. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, yeah, to sit and talk this with was me. Fun. I love that you were nervous. Uh, I was so nervous. I'm, I'm still nervous a little bit. <laughs> I'm definitely not the probably the most famous person you've ever talked to. I'm usually so. behind the camera so much, so and I'm yeah. usually doing media training for other people, and here I am, you know, trying to tell people how to do something, and then I'm nervous doing it. So yeah, being nervous is good. I, I tend to I tend to do my best work when I'm a little bit you know tense about something so yeah but thank you so much and i really appreciate you and i love you as a friend uh, and, uh, i love you too i love your whole family thank you and and so thanks for being on the show yeah. and uh we're gonna finish awesome thanks, thanks Tanya. <laughs> thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission please subscribe to the mission zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review